Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father Almighty God, we come before you and we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask, my Father, that you take absolute control. Let your Holy Spirit lead, teach, and instruct us as we go into your word. We are grateful for all that you have done, and we are expectant for all that you will do. And we come in the moment and we just say thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you will do. Father, let tonight be a time at your feet where we step into your word and be changed according to your spirit. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, as we come to tonight, we'd just like to say thank you for um, all that has happened. And we find ourselves both in church and on the Bible study. We find ourselves speaking, ladies and gentlemen, about the heart. It's such an important topic. Um, please do not miss Sundays. Please do not miss all that Pastor Agle has to say and everybody that is speaking regarding this subject. It's going to be an absolutely amazing time of ministry, amazing time of ministry. And we encourage you to be part of it. And hopefully a lot of your questions along that line will be answered. And so tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to pick up where I left off um, two weeks ago. And it was this. We had just gone through um, the first two types of hearts laid out in Mark chapter four. And that's going to be our base scripture for tonight. We're going to read it again and then we'll pick it up from there. And then we're going to look at the third type of heart that Jesus presents that is challenged. And let's see how far we go with that tonight. Um, hopefully we can get through that. But like I said, this is easily one of the most groundbreaking topics we've ever been through. And so I'm encouraged um, in all things that the Holy Spirit is leading us this way. And so ladies and gentlemen, our text for tonight, our text for tonight is Mark chapter four. And I'll be reading just to give everybody a refresher, an overview. Um, I'll read from verse one. And so I'll start from Mark four, verse one. Um, I will read in the King James version of the Bible. If there are things that are unclear, ladies and gentlemen, I will make them clearer to you. And the Bible says the following. It's, it's a familiar story now. And the Bible says, and he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, hearken, Behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. 
And he said unto them, he that hath ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the 12 asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? So this is a really important parable. And then he begins to explain, verse 15. The Bible says that, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. We spoke about that. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. And so endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And so that's where we'll stop. That's Mark 4, verses 1 to 20. Now, we've already spoken about two of the hearts, and so I won't go over that again. Please, if you would like to catch up, jump onto the podcasts on any one of the popular channels, and you'll pick up the various teachings upon this subject over the last four weeks or so. That will be absolutely wonderful. And so tonight, we're going to focus on what Jesus calls thorny ground. It's the type of heart. And so remember, what we're focusing on is we're focusing on the heart and how to heal your heart. And so the third type of heart that Jesus speaks about is the type you'll find um, in verse 18. And I'll, I'll reread that. And it says, and these are they which are sown among thorns such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful and so ladies and gentlemen before we can consider how to heal this kind of heart although we could make very clear statements about it let's look at what those states are and hopefully tonight we'll begin to unpack it and it will help. It will definitely help somebody who is struggling. And so the first thing is this. Notice what the Bible says. And the Bible says that Jesus lists three challenges and he lists three things. And the first thing I want you to notice, looking at verse, eight, uh, verse 19, Jesus said, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. So let's break that down. The first word that Jesus says is the cares of this world. Now, the when you look at that word, both in, in Greek, the word cares means distraction, where a person literally is distracted from what they should be doing 
to what they should not, or something that is beneficial to something that is not beneficial. It's a distraction. Now, sometimes you can be doing something really great. And you may be saying, oh, but I was doing, I was, I was tidying the house. I was doing something good. I was helping somebody across the road. But if it's a distraction from what either you're paid to do, called to do, asked to do, or required to do, then although what you're doing might be deemed good, it is a distraction. And so Jesus said, the cares of this world. Now, when we see the cares of this world, he puts the two together. So not only does he say that these are a distraction, he says the cares of this world or this age, time, or the time that we live in. And he says, these things are one of the first things that come in and they come and they act like thorns and basically choke the promise, the word, the assurance that you have from the Lord, effectively your relationship with God. And so the best way to explain this, when we say that the cares are a distraction, the best way to explain this is with a story, and I'll come to that. But let me make a blanket statement before I, before I go on that covers all three. Jesus said the cares of this world. And he says, distract, that is a distraction. The second thing he says is the lusts of other things. Now, what we realize about, and we're going to break that down in a moment, both cares, lusts, and the deceitfulness of riches, all three are in the negative. And so Jesus is presenting that these, although when they come, they are in the negative. So it is these three things are taking you from something positive to something negative. But let's break it down, like I said, with a story. And this is the beautiful thing about Bible study. So let's have a look at cares of this world. And, and, and it gives us a really good example. And so the cares of this world, the story that we're going to look at, um, the reference we're going to look at is one in Genesis, and it's Lot's wife. So the scripture reading, if you could turn in your Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, so we're looking at cares. We're going to look at all three. Um, Genesis chapter, uh, let me go, to, yes, Genesis chapter 19, and we'll be reading verses 17 and 24. So if you've never read the story before, let me give you um a short summary. Um, Lot lived in a very, very wicked city with his wife and his two girls, and they lived in a very wicked city, and God was about to judge it. The Lord had stopped by Abraham's house. This is in Genesis 18. And Abraham had interceded with the Lord for Sodom and Gomorrah that if you find 10 righteous people, I'm cutting a very long story short, if you find 10 righteous people, will you not destroy? He said, yes, I will not destroy. The Lord goes back to heaven. The angels go on to Sodom. And again, it's a famous story. But that means the opportunity for mercy had been, the door for mercy had been opened for Lot. And so we're going to pick up the narrative in Genesis 19. And in Genesis 19, um, I won't go through all of it for tonight's sake because we want to focus on one thing. Um, I'm going to look at verse 
17, and then I'm going to look at verse 26. And so the angels come, the, they stay with Lot, they say we're going to the city's going to be destroyed. Do you have anybody else in the city? Um, Lot goes off to go and find his sons-in-law, and effectively the 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 story comes to a climax where the angels say, right, we're going to move you out of the city. You run to safety because we can't wipe this city out until you are safe. That was because of the prayers of Abraham. And that is the backdrop to what we are about to look at. And we're going to look at some of the details of that story. That's why I'm not reading through it immediately. So let's have a look at the two key verses for today. Genesis 19, verse 17. Genesis 19, verse 17. And the Bible says, and it came to pass when they brought them forth abroad, that means they brought them out of the city, and that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we realize that the Lord has said to Lot and his family, focus this is the word of the deliverance and so this is a really graphic example of how the cares of this world can choke the word of god that god the promise of god that is given you so the angel had given him a promise he said listen i can't destroy this city until you are safe he said run to the mountain lot begins to negotiate with the angel and he says, okay, run to a town called Zoa. Different story. Verse 24, and I'll read from verse 24 down to 26. Verse 24, the Bible says, then the Lord rained upon, oh, it's time for our declaration, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, let me pause. Um, it's 7.4, well, it's actually 7.15 now. So let's take our declaration. Oh Lord, we are your people called by your name we humble ourselves and we pray we seek your face we turn from our wicked ways hear from heaven lord forgive our sins and heal our land in jesus's name we pray last part the declaration we declare that our land is healed in the name of jesus amen and so ladies and gentlemen we realize so this is, so we pick up the story and we'll pick up the story from verse 24. The Bible says the following, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Verse 26, but his wife, looked back from behind him. This is Lot's wife. She looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And, the, and Lot and his girls go on to Zoar and they then go on to the mountain and they are saved. But we realize the attraction, when Jesus said the cares of this world, the strength of those cares even though God said, I'm about to deliver you. Your freedom has come. Your promise has come. The cares of this world had Lot's wife's attention so strongly 
that against all advice, she still looked back. And the Bible says at that particular point in time, grace was not available and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And so she paid the price for her actions. And notice that's all Satan wants you to do, that when God's deliverance comes, you're focused somewhere else. But let's, let, you may say, well, that's a bit harsh, but let me break it down for you so we understand when we look at cares of this world. When we look at cares of this world, let me explain something about Sodom and Gomorrah. And that also explains something about the cares of this world. Um, let me think about it. The things that this world prizes, um, without picking on a particular thing, you find them scattered across social media. Think of all the, I mean, everybody presents on social media their life, that their life is one, the majority, not everybody. The majority of people present that their life is wonderful. Everything is great when I get my car, when I get my baby, when I get married, when I get engaged, when I get, you know, the whole thing, I'll stick it on social media. And so I present to you a life that is quote unquote perfect. That's what you realize. Many times what people do not, some do, some people do present that you find that the life that they present has a lot more to it than what they are telling you or I. To use that as a general example. But let me let's talk about Sodom. So we understand that it was a that the attraction of Sodom was intense. And this is why Jesus said, be careful about it. And so turning your Bibles, please, we're going to go back a couple of chapters to Genesis 13, verse 10. Genesis 13, I'm going to put it in the chat. Genesis 13, verse 10, because Genesis 13, verse 10. And the Bible says the following. This is where Lot was about to leave Abraham and choose somewhere to live. He looked around him, and this is the description of where Sodom and Gomorrah have been placed. Genesis 13, verse 10. And the Bible says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So we know where he was looking at. Even, then, this is what the Bible says, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. So what we realize, that was how attractive Sodom and Gomorrah was. The only problem and this is the thing about the world. The world is attractive. And Jesus said it's the cares of this world. That means the things that this age values outside the things of God. And so Sodom and Gomorrah was absolutely beautiful. And Lot chose by sight rather than by prayer or direction or guidance. Lot ends up outside Sodom and Gomorrah. He leaves Abraham, lives next to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll read Genesis 13, verse 13. And Genesis 13, verse 13 says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And you see what you begin to realize, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said, if the cares of this world become your focus, there's always a catch. And that's what Satan presents to us. And we're, all, we're easily caught up. I want a new car. I want a bigger house. I want a better job. I want, and he says, this is what everybody, so 
people feel, well, I, I've been married a couple of years. I should have two children. I've, I've been in a job. I should be a manager. You know, the, the phrase, I should be at my age, I should be, and so on and so forth. And what you begin to realize is those are cares of this world. They're not evil in and of themselves. But Jesus says, when they become the focus outside of our focus of what God has said to you, they can literally silence your promise. And so this is what that kind of heart looks. So that's the, where we'll go through a few more scriptures. And so what I also want you to realize, um, so that's what Sodom was like. So it wasn't that Sodom was a terrible place when Lot got there, but the people were wicked. Okay, now what I also want you to realize, ladies and gentlemen, so that's what the cares of this world are like. It draws you in. It draws you in, even though you don't realize it. And think about it. I mean, um, when you start focusing on things like that, they draw you in. Let me give you a biblical example of what it looks like. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in Genesis 13, verse 12, just speaking about Lot, just to give you a, an example, and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on to, uh, to close it out. The Bible says in Genesis 13, verse 12, Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. So Lot didn't start in Sodom. He just hung around there. It was great for his cattle, great location. Come with me, ladies and gentlemen, to Genesis 14, 12. Genesis 14, 12. Genesis 14, 12 says the following. Kings attacked Sodom and Gomorrah. And listen to what the Bible says. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So he started close to Sodom. Now he dwells in Sodom. Okay. So and remember, the Bible has said that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were wicked, exceedingly wicked and sinners before the Lord. He didn't start out in Sodom, but it began to draw him in. Let's go to the last one and then we'll move on. Turn with me to Genesis 19, verse 14. Genesis 19, verse 14. I'll put it in the chat for convenience, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. Genesis 19, verse 14 says the following. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So now, he started close to Sodom. He ends up living in Sodom. Now he is a part of the structure even though he himself was still a righteous man. It's, that's what the Bible says. What I want you to realize, ladies and gentlemen, that the cares of this world are seductive and it starts slowly. And so what I want you to realize, these, all of a sudden, the miracles and the blessings of God can take your attention away from the God you serve. Uh, we see it when we say we see it, think about it. It could be 
school, children, marriage, work, all the wonderful reasons that we give for putting God second. Um, and it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. And this is why you have to be careful. Now, I, I got into a habit of rolling out of bed and going to exercise or rolling out of bed and diving into my day, rolling out of bed and going to do the things that were urgent. And I began to I didn't realize at first, but then I began to put God second. So I would, my Bible study would become second or my prayer time would become second. And then I hit a dry patch. And the Lord was very specific. He said, you know what, before you do anything, before you make breakfast, before you make tea, before you go and dive into your many things, and, and they're good things because you're busy, you're working. He said, pause for a moment and just say the Lord's prayer. Find a place in your house, kneel down and say the Lord's Prayer. It changed my life. And this is what I want you to realize, ladies and gentlemen. The cares of this world, they're not evil, but they have to find a place of priority in that the God you serve, his word, his promises, your relationship with him comes first. Jesus said it in Matthew 22, verse 37. He says, this is the first and the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Ladies and gentlemen, put God first. So this is what Jesus was saying, that this is how the cares of this world can sneak in. Lot had no idea when he first moved to Sodom, that this is where he was going to end up. No idea. It drew him in. In the very same way, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes our phones can draw us in. Watching television, my, I'm a movie watcher. I relax watching movies or TV, and I can binge watch. Wonderful process whereby you can see all the episodes of a series, and you realize, wait, I've been here for four and a half hours. Now, unless those four and a half hours are well accounted for, we're really wasting time. So those are the kind of things I want you to just keep in mind. Just keep that in mind. So Jesus says, one of the first things that can choke the word are the cares of this world. And Jesus uses this phrase, entering in. That means they become a part of you. So let's, let's move on. Um, let's move on. I would like to say a few other things, but you know what? I'll skip forward. The next thing Jesus says, that this the challenge of this hub because i really want to get to the solution today so as much as i have a few other things to say but I'll, I'll, I'll go here the second thing that jesus says can choke the word that means you have a promise you're on your way your relationship with god is great but the first one was a distraction the second one ladies and gentlemen jesus said the deceitfulness of riches now, it's very interesting that this comes up because deceitfulness, the, the root word of deceitfulness in Greek is as follows. It's delusion. That, the same thing as a mirage. It presents to you a future that doesn't really exist. Now, speaking about wealth and riches, it's very, this is one that, all of us, I mean, without a doubt, all of us at one point in time find ourselves thinking this. And I'll give you an example. And I will be honest with you, open and honest. 
many, many times this has popped up and I'll tell you what it is. The assumption that if I was rich, I'll be fine. Especially if you have bills to pay or you want to do things or you want to do ministry or you want to do life, you want to be kind to your children. You want, But the assumption is, well, you know what? If I was rich, I wouldn't have any problems. And that hits us so we pers- so there there can be an inordinate pursuit of being rich because we feel that well if i'm rich i'm all right and even if i'm going through problems and i'm loaded yeah it won't feel so bad not true but let's look at an example so our first example ladies and gentlemen our first example was lot's wife let's look at the second example and this is the example for riches Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 14. So I'm going to go with top-of-the-line examples, and then we can work down from there. So 1 Kings, let me write that into the chat. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5, and we're going to read to verse 14. When I start reading, it will become really clear. So 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'm going to start at verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon. No one was richer or has been richer than Solomon. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon has become king after his father, David. That's where this particular story comes from. It says, ask what I shall give you, verse six. And Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant, David, my father, great mercy, according as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness. And thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Verse 8. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Verse 9. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked for riches, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Verse 12, we're going to verse 14. Verse 12. Behold, I have done according to thy words. I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Verse 13. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And then he says, and if thou will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Pause. 
the Lord said, by virtue of the fact that you asked me for wisdom and understanding to manage being king, I'm going to make you rich. I'll make you wise. I'll give you understanding. All the things you didn't ask for, I'm going to give you. So the Lord gave to Solomon a level of wealth that is unprecedented then and now. So if anybody should have been happy because he was rich, Solomon should have. Let's have a look at the outcome of Solomon's journey to drive this point home. Because Jesus presents, and please understand me when he says it, Jesus presents that riches have an element of deceit associated with them. And the deceit is that if I am rich, all my problems are solved. Come with me, ladies and gentlemen, to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I'm going to read 10 to 11. Ecclesiastes 2. And I'm going to read 10 to 11. This is what Solomon says. Actually, I'll read from 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Verse 10, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Verse 11, let me, let me pause for a moment. So let me make it clear. He said that I did not hold my heart or mind back from anything it wanted because I had the resources to do it. So I, I imagine, I mean, today you can see how rich people function. So it was like, you know what? There are seven days in a week. I'm going to have a gold chariot, one for every single day. And it's going to have my name on the back. I mean, it, think about it. If Solomon was to show up today, it would be in a gold plated Bentley with a number plate, S-O, this did, 110-O-M, that this is Solomon, I am me. And he basically said, I held myself back from nothing. I want someone to brush my teeth, I bought five. I want, I want someone to do this. And he basically went for it, maxed it. He said, I'm going to push the boundaries of wealth to the maximum. And he had the resources to do it. Verse 11 is actually quite frightening. And the Bible says the following. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit and there was no profit under the sun. Solomon came to the conclusion that, you know what, riches won't solve my problems. And so let me, let me say this sincerely, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot use a financial solution to solve a spiritual problem. Your, our relationship with God is where our satisfaction lies. That doesn't mean he's asking you to be poor. 
but he is asking you that, listen, do it my way. And so Jesus said, the deceitfulness of riches, especially when you, and I, I don't know, well, if we were having a face-to-face -face conversation, think about it. When you're going through a difficulty, I don't know whether it actually hit you. It's hit me many times where I'll think, you know what, if I had the resources, I'll just, let me just wipe the slate, pay off everything, buy everything I need, and let's start afresh. Life would be easier. That's not fundamentally true. How do I know that? Until you are confronted with a problem that money cannot solve. And then you realize, wait, everything I've gathered, I would give the lot just to have one more day with my son, my brother, my wife, my child. There are problems that money does not solve. That doesn't mean money is not good. That's not what the Bible is saying. But what Jesus is saying is, if the deceitfulness of riches kicks in, it presents to you a delusion. It can choke the word of God. Okay? So that, and so this is what I, I wanted you to realize this. So that was the second thing. So hopefully what Jesus is saying becomes clearer. Let's do the third one because we really want to get to the solution. The third thing that Jesus said, he said, the lusts of other things entering in. Now, when we say lusts, this is, <laughs> lusts are very interesting. And let me put it this way. You cannot lust after something that you have or something that is legally yours. A lust is an inordinate desire for something that is usually forbidden. Come with me to 1 John. Before we go to the example, there's a story to go with this one, and then we'll get to the solution. 1 John um, chapter 2, and we're going to have a look at verse 15. First, and we're going to look at verse 15 to 16. So 1 John 2, and I'm going to go to 15. Let's get to first John. Thank you. That's the first letter of John chapter two. And I'm going to verse 15. This is what John says about lust. Verse 15 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. Verse 16 for all that is in the world, for all that is in the world, and then they list them, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So pause, ladies and gentlemen. The, when Jesus said, when lust comes in, it means you begin to desire something that is not, not only is it not yours, many times it's forbidden. So let me use an example to give you an example of what I want and how it can get hold of you. Um, and then we'll, we'll go to the, the example. Turning your Bibles, please, to Second Samuel. And so this is because I, 
rather than just telling you what it is, and, and I will break it down in a moment, let me tell you the story. Second Samuel 13, and we're going to read from 1 to 13. So that Second Samuel 13, let's go there. And the Bible says the following. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. That means she was beautiful. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. Jonadab was a very subtle man, subtle or crafty. And he said unto him, why art thou being the king's son lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said unto him, lay thee down on thy bed and make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat it at her hand. So Amnon lay down and made himself sick. And when the king was come to see him, Amnon said unto him, said unto the king, I pray thee, let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat at her hand. Verse 7. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go now to thy brother Amnon's house and dress his meat. That means cook him a meal. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was laid down, and she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and did bake the cakes. And she took a pan and poured them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, have out all the men. That means let all the men leave me. And they went out every man from him. So it was just him and his, him and Tamar alone, him and his sister. And Amnon said unto Tamar, bring the meat unto the chamber that I may eat of thy hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her. And said unto her, come lie with me, my sister. He wanted to speak with her. And she answered him, nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not, the, do not thou this folly that this is, should never be done. And I, whither, whither shall I go? Whither shall I cause my shame to go? Which way shall I go? Where will I go? Because I will be so ashamed. And as for thee, thou shalt be one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he will not withhold me from thee. And the Bible says the following, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her, he raped her. Then, this is what I want you to realize. I, I want, this is where we're going to, verse 16. Verse 15 and 16 are a hammer blow. The Bible says the following, Then Amnon hated her, exceedingly so that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her and Amnon said unto her arise be gone I don't want to see you and she said unto him there is no cause this evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou hast done unto me but he would not hearken unto her verse 17 the Bible then says, he said, then he called his servant that ministered unto him and said, put now this woman out from me and bolt the door after her. Let me stop reading. This is lust in action. 
You see, lust will present to you something forbidden that you really should have this. The end of it will break you. But when lust is involved, it's an inordinate desire. Now, notice he really wanted his half-sister. And it got into his head, got into his system, and Satan then provides somebody to give him some crazy advice. Notice that event damages the entirety of David's family. The result is horrendous. And this is what I want you to please remember. Jesus said the lusts of other things entering in choke the word so when you're walking with god and you have a promise lust never presents itself to you as a problem it starts just as a thought starts as a picture and it slowly you begin then to convince yourself that i must be right and ladies and gentlemen this is how evil functions it doesn't come full force satan operates like this and notice in all the cases, the attacks on the heart of a man are after the word of God that God has planted in them. Either they come to steal it, either they try and kill it, or they try and destroy it. And ladies, that is John 10.10. 10. Jesus said that's all that Satan has come to do. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we realize this is what lust looks like. And he fed on it until he acted on it. And then it dropped him like a hot stone. And he realized I've made not only a stupid mistake, I don't like you anymore. And he, the Bible says a hatred for what he lusted after kicked in. And so this is the deceitfulness. This is what Jesus said. This is the last line of attack. That when lust gets in, it won't only choke the word, but it will set in process a series of events that will damage, break, or harm not only you, but everybody else that is involved. Why are we focusing? So if your heart is like that, so that means your heart is either distracted, your heart is deceived, or your heart is focused on something you have a desire that is for something forbidden or something that is denied you you're in a tough state but the answer this is the beautiful thing about the word of god this is why i wanted to look at this tonight so now we've hopefully you've seen the picture and think about it how does lust start tv advert magazine advert somebody says something to you some, and I mean, we can look at many, many things where you begin to realize that a lust or a desire, it starts from something really small. Someone mentions you, so-and-so said this about you. All of a sudden you're getting angry. I really want to hurt this person. We want to hurt this person. And then when you finally do so, you realize I didn't really want to do that. Then you're facing a challenge that may literally change the course of your life. This is what Satan does. The answer for this kind of heart, the picture is not as dark as it seems. There is help 
for us. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we realize that Jesus said these are thorns, things that are choking the word, things that are holding your attention. So what's the solution? Turn in your Bibles, please, ladies and gentlemen, to Hebrews chapter 4. And we are going to start reading from verse 12. Hebrews 4.12. And I'm, I'm, I may read it in two versions of the Bible. The Bible says Hebrews 4.12. Actually, I'll read it in the Amplified Classic version of the Bible. Um, Hebrews 4.12. And I'm going to read to verse 16. So we realize there is help and there is hope. The Bible says, for the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, soul, and the immortal spirits, and of joints and marrows of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the thoughts and purposes of the heart. So the word of God, as you study the Bible, even if your heart is in these places, I'm actually, I'm going to keep reading to verse 16. And then we'll talk about it. But I'm going to read from verse 13 to 16 in the King James Version of the Bible. The Bible says the following. No, I'll read from 12 for clarity. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and, as a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Verse 13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do or with whom we have to give account. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pause for a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to realize, if you find your heart in one of those three states, because that's where addictions lie, that's where challenging behavior lies, that's where memories that you can't get rid of lie, where it seems that they have your heart and you're trying to go free, but you can't. The Bible says the first thing we need to do is come boldly unto the throne of grace. And please understand, let me say this very carefully. Come boldly and grace has been made available through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That means when you come to God and he asks for grace, it's already paid for. The grace was paid for by Jesus Christ. So the Lord says, when you're in this state, come to me first. Don't stay there thinking that I'm going to judge you. Don't stay there thinking that I'm going to, I'm going to bury you. I'm going to be angry. No, no, no. I've already paid the price. 
Notice what the Bible says, that the Bible says in verse 13, that all creatures are manifest naked and open before him. That means God already knows what you are going through before you come. So he's not angry. This is why, this is what Jesus has made possible. So Jesus says, come first. When you now come to the Lord, notice what happens. I'll read verse 16. When you come boldly, you obtain mercy. That means this is specific to what you're going through. The Lord will intervene and take the weight of your actions off you and give you the benefits of his actions. Mercy. He will make things right at his expense. The Bible then says that you will find grace. That is the supernatural ability of God to help you in your time of need. How is God going to do it? He's going to cause a word to come alive that will give you freedom from what you have been struggling with, which feels like an absolute mountain. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to realize it doesn't matter if your heart right now is feels like it's trapped with thorns. Why? Hebrews 4.12 says the following, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Then it says, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Lord will send his word in and it will operate like a scalpel, which will separate, free your spirit to come to God and separate you from your thoughts and your actions. Why? So that God can step in and heal what has been holding you bound. Habits that have been formed that refuse to go, things that are holding you back. The word of God comes in, separates you from the habit or the challenge. And what does it do? It He draws you. I won't say it. He, the word of God, draws you to God. And the Bible says mercy and grace will then take over. And as you walk in that on a daily basis, as you speak the words of God over your life, as you spend time studying, spend time reading, spend time meditating on the word of God, you realize God will consistently fix what has been broken. All right, let's close it out like this, ladies and gentlemen. So we realize that because I, one last thing we're going to do, but let's go through it. So let's understand who wields the sword of the spirit or the scalpel of the, the scalpel of the word of God. I'm going to turn, if you could turn in your Bibles, please, with me to Ephesians 6, verse 17. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified Bible, ladies and gentlemen, speaking about the armor of the Christian. And this is what the, um, Paul says about the Holy Spirit. And he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword that the spirit wields, which is the word of God. Jesus said, when you come to the throne of grace, you will find what? Help. The only person defined as our helper is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will not just come 
with a flood of information. He will come with exactly what you need, wielding the word of God in love and affection to literally recreate what is damaged. So I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, when you find your heart trapped, this is the third type, the thorny type, what will the word of God do? It will give you the strength to come to Jesus. Jesus then through the ministry of the Holy Spirit will begin to work on your heart systematically. He will do it in love, freeing you to be who you really are. Let me show you how Jesus said this. And then ladies and gentlemen, if you don't mind, I actually want to pray before we go. Jesus said it this way. And this is why, please, please stay in the word of God. Um, John chapter eight, reading from 31. And I'll read to 32. Jesus said the following. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. As you spend time in the word of God, ladies and gentlemen, as you come to God and ask him for help through the ministry of the word of God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he will make you a free person. I pray tonight that your hopes have risen because this is, this is, this is the last line before we get, to, and next week, well, next week when we step into the word of God, ladies and gentlemen, we're looking at good ground. And so that's the explosion. But I want you to really understand there is hope and there is help. Whether it be you've been deceived, whether it be you've been deluded, whether it be you've faced the lust, whether they have taken hold and the action has happened, forgiveness is available. This is the beautiful thing about what Jesus has made available. Your heart can be healed and he will make it happen. Okay. Ephesians 6, reading from verse 17. Ephesians 6, 17. So if you keep that in mind, I'm sorry, I didn't put that in the chat, Ephesians 6, 17. And I read it from there. So I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, there is hope and there is healing. And so I want to pause for a moment. We've got a, about a minute left. And I want to say a prayer. And it's the prayer, uh, this, this, this prayer has literally, literally, I've been praying it all my life, but it, it's hit home. I'm going to pray and I want to pray for anybody who feels that their heart is trapped. And I'm going to pray the prayer that Paul prays in Ephesus to the Ephesians church, because that's where healing is. And the Bible says the following. I pray to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man, that's your heart, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that means the word of God will come alive, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Ladies and gentlemen, I pray that the Lord fills you with himself. The healing he will do. The word of God, he'll fill you with himself. The rest, ladies and gentlemen, he will lead you to a place of complete and absolute healing. And I pray that God allows you tonight, and I say this from the bottom of my heart, that as you come to the Lord, all you will find is grace and mercy because he loves you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to stop there tonight. I really hope tonight has been a blessing. Do not despair. It's not over. May God bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful evening. If you have questions next week, pop them in early and we'll go from there. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful evening.